to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology. And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels. Today we have another special guest. We have almost Dr. Ehudi Afenda Williams. She has just passed her dissertation proposal defense and she is on the path to get her PhD. She is from Landover, Maryland. She went to <laughs> Charles Flowers High School. Right now she is receiving or she is earning her information science PhD at the University of Michigan. And her research is on the impact of technology on low-income African-Americans across the United States. And she actually recently published a paper, co-authored a paper called Critical Race Theory for HCI. And that paper won the Best Paper Award for the 2020 CHI Conference on Human Factors and Computing Systems. So mm. note, this is a big deal. So um, as I mentioned, she's getting her PhD from the University of Michigan. She also has a Master of Education in Technology, Innovation, and Education from Harvard University. And her Bachelor of Science in Information Technology is from Rochester Institute of Technology. So if that is not enough, she has worked at Microsoft, Adobe, the Department of the State, Uplift Education, Booz Allen Hamilton, Xerox. She had time to be in the Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> and some of her many awards include being a Google Women Tech Makers Scholarship recipient, a recipient of the Rackham Merit Fellowship, and a GEM Fellow. So welcome. We call her Fenda. Welcome, Fenda. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is very exciting. <laughs> um, this Fenda's is my like first our podcast. Yes. And I have a cup she is to a super fan. So hopefully this will be aired so you can see the cup. You can't be a number yes. one fan without a cup to prove it. <laughs> that is true. If you're watching this on uh, on YouTube, you can see the cup. So, yeah. So, Fenda, you have had a really cool trajectory, and you're working on some really cool stuff. So, early on, like, what was there anything that inspired you to move into this direction? Did you know this was something that you would eventually do? So, absolutely not. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I definitely laughed at the PhD students while I was at RIT thinking like, why are you guys back in school? You can go to industry <laughs> and make a ton of money. And here I am. So I thought that was um, really funny. But in terms of where I am today, no, I, ha I had no idea. Um, so you grew up in Maryland. I'm Maryland. Yeah, Merlin. I'm specifically from Palmer Park, so I just want to shout out everybody from Palmer Park who listens to this podcast. 
I'm here. <laughs> I think it's funny because as we talked about this earlier, like you were talking about like all the people who came through that area and that you know, and I was just like, what? Yeah. Y'all just making black PhDs in CS? <laughs> I'm telling you, Flowers probably has, um, and people who came from faculty at Flowers probably has like a pretty good rep when it comes to computing. You were saying like Danae and Robin <laughs> and you like it's, yeah it's I wild. I yeah I attested to the principal she's no longer here um, but I feel like given the diversity of students I went to that high school she had like a uh, like like everyone can achieve regardless of where you're from type attitude and I think she put it into our teachers and everybody around it or every around one around her. Um, so I, it w it was a great time at flowers. I will say that. Hmm. So like the antithesis of, um, Abbott elementary. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The, um, I'm really bad with names, but the older teacher, um, that, uh, the main star like loves that's, I would say yeah, that Moesha's was, mama, um, Shirley Ralph. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I would say that was our our principal. And I have a really random story. Like when Flowers got built, um, Palmer Park, Seat Pleasant, uh, Kentland, we all have a rep. Um, it's not mm -hmm. always the best rep. But some of the parents <laughs> didn't want us to. <laughs> some of the parents didn't want us to go to Flowers. And um, I didn't really think about it. But I'm really thankful that we had the opportunity to, to, be, to go to that school because it was newly built. And um, yeah, like I said, it, it forever changed my life and trajectory. The principal's name is Principal Helena Noble Jones. She's no longer here, but um, I feel like she created an atmosphere where we could ever always achieve. In fact, the saying for flowers at that time was um, failure is not an option. So it's while it's okay to fail, you can't sit there in your failure. It's, it's not an option. Um, but even before high school, um, I got involved in, with computers around 14 years old. I feel like a stereotype when I say that because I see people sometimes <laughs> talk about that like, you know, I started coding at 14 and I, I did. I started making websites <laughs> at 14. Um, the Black Data Processing Association, they had computer classes at Seat Pleasant. And um, what got me there was one of my neighbors was going, but what really got me there was they said that you could get a free computer if you do this build your computer class and mind you it was a used computer but back then nobody really had a computer i remember like in sixth grade my mom uh like driving us around to find a computer so i could type up my science fair project so you know getting a computer was a really really big deal um unfortunately i didn't get a computer but i did get into their web design class and um, i eventually won a, a scholarship um, it was like 500 bucks, but it was something back then um, for coding up a website. So I was really proud about that. I'll take $500. Right. Though. That's a whole <laughs> lot now, too. That right. Was a lot back then, <laughs> definitely now, too. Yeah. That'd be nice. I'll take that. Whoever's out there listening. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, you had some sort of idea that you wanted to do something with technology and with coding very early on. So um, in high school, you said you took, um, you know, you took a class with web page development. Like, were there any other like camps or things like that that you were able to do? 
yeah, to push so, you in that direction. So yes and no, I knew I wanted to do something with computers, but I also wanted to do something with fashion design. I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to do a lot of different things. And um, <laughs> I'm thankful to my mom because she would put me in these classes and I would slowly by surely kind of eliminate it. So I remember taking an animation <laughs> class and being like, we, they try to teach us how to animate by hand. And I'm like, this is not for me. I cannot, I don't think I can do this. That <laughs> I'm going to just eliminate that right there. So <laughs> in addition to, I think most of my computing related um, exposure came from weekend classes with the BDPA. So again, money involved, they offered a scholarship for school through these weekend uh, coding classes. So if you um, you took the classes and you participated in the competition um, through the BDPA conference, you could win money uh, for school. And so my mom forced me and the teacher at that time, Mr. Shaq, um, picked me up because um, my mom worked late at night. So she was actually quite tired. And so he helped out because um, he was passing through the neighborhood to pick me up, to take me to those computing classes. and. Anybody that's a teenager or middle school can tell you that doing anything on the weekend that's not watching, back then it was Saturday morning cartoons, uh, <laughs> is not fun. So needless to say, I was forced, but once I got into the class, um, I woke up, we used, um, we did flash animations, and then we also did uh, basic HTML and CSS. So getting there was tough, like it's the weekend, but then once I sat in the class, I was like, I'm really happy I got here. And, um, eventually, you know, once I got into undergrad, I, I didn't start out in computing. I was a biotechnology bioinformatics major, but, uh, once I got that, eventually I changed my major to, um, information technology. So did you like biology? Too? Yeah. Like I said, I had a lot of in interest, like in <laughs> high school, <laughs> I was president of the environmental club. Shout out to all those environmentalists. Um, <laughs> and uh, so in at Flowers, there were different tracks you could take. So one was computing, the other was bio, and the other one was engineering. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like my I like having lots of options. So I would originally so I, when I went into when I was doing science and tech, I did bio and computer computing. And so uh, once I graduated, I was trying to combine the two. You know, trying to do like a mm -hmm. two for one deal. Mm -hmm. So biotechnology was like biotechnology that's it that's what i want the bio and technology mm -hmm. that's the area i want to go into um but eventually the 8 a.m classes i realized were not for me and then i also <laughs> realized in undergrad i don't know i started to get a little bit jealous of my friends in um, information technology because they had like afternoon classes they just seemed like they have more work-life balance and then at that point <laughs> i was coding since i was 14 and we weren't really coding in my biotechnology classes and so it was just like they're over there doing things i want to do and i'm not i'm not there yet and so eventually i then i changed my major to in in a in a, a short stance <laughs> i think a simplified version then i eventually changed my major to information technology that is wow. hilarious <laughs> You're like, I need a work-life balance. <laughs> no, I just knew myself. I just knew I needed to not work on weekends. A lot of my cells died over the weekend. Like, I did not go into the lab. <laughs> no, it was just me being honest with myself. I just I just couldn't go into the I just thought it was, how can school be on the weekends? I just couldn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> like, that should be against right. the Like, law. we work all this I... hard from Monday to Friday. <laughs> how can school be on the weekend? And so... 
Again, it, it was just <laughs> moments of trying different things and realizing this is not for me. So let me let me tailor my direction. I had a similar experience at an internship that was like biotech and I was like coding these cells that were going to self-assemble with these different like pieces of DNA with complementary whatever, whatever. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, it is very cool, but no. Yes. Yeah, I, they they were <laughs> trying to sell me that like the, the computing part would come into the, where, where you, you do like, like genetics and everything, but then... I realized I didn't really like genetics. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that made me make the switch. How was the transition, like, moving from Maryland all the way up to New York? Like, yeah. So, yeah, that was a story because uh, when, when I was in <laughs> high school, you know, I saw myself having, like, a penthouse apartment in New York City and everything yeah. and apparently I couldn't read maps that well. So RIT came and I was like, you know, you know, in the map, it looked like it was very close to New York City. And when I went to visit, they're like, no, we're like five hours away. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm in the state. Um, but in terms of the transition, it wasn't too bad. I'm the, I'm the youngest on my mom's side. And so, you know, being the youngest, I was often babied. And so I wanted that level of freedom that I, I felt like I couldn't have if I was super close to home. And so... Um, I convinced my mom to let me visit the school on my own, which was like my, you know, she was letting me go slowly by slowly. And, um, the rest is, the rest is history. I went there, the school told, you know, RIT told me that they, you know, they look, they listen to their students. They, they, you know, they, they know us and everything. It's a very undergrad focused school, even though I will say these days now it's also research focused, but back then it was super undergrad focused and, um, they had convinced me, given the fact that it was cold and I wasn't used to that, <laughs> that <laughs> this was a place to me. And then on top of that, most of the schools that I applied to had um, a combination of a good bio program, a good tech program, and then a good fashion design program because I wasn't sure where I was going to oh. end up. So that, that's, that, was, okay. that was also a selling point for me. Yeah, I figured it might be a huge transition going from basically dc right like you're right there in the middle of everything to nowhere like frozen tundra well i will say as a person from the dmv it's only until you leave the dmv that you realize wow i was so close to museums and wow you you have to pay if for a museum like that's that's against (laughs) that should be against the law right there you have to pay for a museum like no that's that doesn't make any sense so it was only until I came back from um, from college that I was like, wow, like I, I really need to embrace and take advantage of where I live. Mm. I remember when I got to Michigan, I was like, where's the Smithsonian? Like, because where... right. <laughs> to me, so Smithsonian is synonymous for museum. Right. Like, right. Oh. Because of where, like, where are your Smithsonians? <laughs> right. Can't relate. <laughs> y'all, that's that's special. Okay, that's a unique yeah. to y'all situation. <laughs> Because uh, I, I mean, for the people who are listening, Kyla is also from the DMV, so cool this is this is her too. Yes, and shout yes. and shout out to Kyla because Kyla, um, she you don't know it, but you helped inform my decision of coming to Michigan. I was like, if I could oh, be wow. as outspoken and together as Kyla, I think I'm going to a good place. Um, and it, and I felt like you know you're still true to yourself, and so yeah, you're you and um. Nancy, I would say, I like I oh, saw yeah. you both, and I was like, "All right, these women are out there doing it." And they both came from this place called Michigan. This is the place I need to go to get my PhD. 
I thought she was gonna Aww. say these people are out there and like stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. They doing it. Yes, doing great things. Well, thank you, Fenda. I really appreciate oh, yeah. that. I definitely. And hopefully, it's been just as good to you too. There. It's been a grow. It's been growing. Michigan is a very activist focused school. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, That's where I learned how to right. protest and learn what to be mad at and why to be mad at it. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm continuously learning to find my voice. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So we know Kyla's wonderful and I really enjoy <laughs> all of her shenanigans on this podcast. Um, but in terms of like other influences that you've had, it's very clear from the bio that she read about you that you've done an internship or two or three or four or 17 in yeah. your time as a student. So how, um, how much did that like influence you? Because you didn't go into industry. That's true. Like, and, and then you were talking about how you laughed at the grad students. So. <laughs> okay. So RIT requires um, students in the information technology to do co-ops. And so in order to graduate, we have to do at least three or four co-ops um, in order to qualify. So you mentioned some, but the most impactful one was at Xerox um, mm -hmm. because uh, during that time, Ursula Burns was CEO. Wow. I also got to meet uh, Carla Harris, who's a pretty big name out there um, and a great role model um, when it comes to corporate identity as a black woman and um, pretty much. Uh, co-op slash internships again helped tailored me to see what I didn't want to do and <laughs> what I wanted to do. And I also want to shout out my friend Kirk. Um, and I always tell him this when I see him, he kind of chucked off some career fields that, um, you know, I think I would have easily navigated into, but I had to prove him wrong. He don't know this right now, but I'm telling him <laughs> I had to prove him wrong. So, um, at the at the conclusion of my um, of my undergrad uh, undergrad degree, I had focused in application design, um, software engineering, software design and development, and um, um, pretty much like learning sciences, educational technology, or and slash H and HCI. So I put it nicely on my CV, but um, <laughs> once I once once I finished undergrad, um, I became a software engineer. To, to, needless to say, once I, I, I finished undergrad, I became a software engineer at Booz Allen. So boot, from Booz Allen, there, um, I worked there for a bit, and then I became a, a Peace Corps volunteer. That's like the clean way of saying it, but it didn't, it didn't turn out like that in, in real life. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I mean, I, I'm confused. So yeah. you, you graduated? Yes, yeah, yeah, I graduated. And then you were like, I'm going to do this little internship. No, Booz Allen was a full-time job. Oh. Yeah, so Xerox, I did like a six-month internship at Xerox. Um, it was, like I said, it was, a, it was a great foundational time for me. And then after that, I got a full-time job uh, at, at Booz Allen. And Booz Allen also was a great and foundational time for me, too. Um, I always will be a boozer, and they always welcome me back <laughs> as a comeback kid. Um, boozer. But is that at, a thing? Yes, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> I'm gonna ask somebody. No, one of my good friends works right there now. now, and I'm about to say I just I'm found out she was right a boozer. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, so what happened was, um, I always knew I wanted to do Peace Corps, and um, 
someone it was funny because someone had asked me once I got my full-time job at Booz Allen like if you got into Peace Corps would you go and I was like yeah I'll go and so um it Peace Corps is a process in of itself they you have to get medically cleared you have to get uh financially cleared um in order pretty much uh you need to get cleared in order to to um, state that you can like live and thrive overseas. And so um, the first time I I applied um, in my senior year, I didn't get into it, but my family family and friends encouraged me to apply again. So I reapplied while while at Booz Allen and um, I eventually quit my job and joined the Peace Corps. Um, (laughs) um, Yes, and so Peace Corps is a volunteer-based organization. You do not do it for the money. In fact, uh, I think my income at that time when living overseas was like, if you change it to dollars, it was like $200 a month. Oh my you know, God. I had friends, you know, yeah, I, I feel like, I, yeah, like I had friends who were like, I couldn't do it, but it was something that I really wanted to do. Funny enough, I really wanted to do it uh, at since I was 14. So 14 was a pretty pivotal age for me. And um, I was happy to Sounds kind of like fulfill it. that dream. It sounds like that was a huge, um, huge formative moment for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just. Uh, hmm. So what is it about the Peace Corps that like really drove you to it? Sure. But I guess for those who don't know, like what the Peace Corps is, I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back and explain. Um, so Peace Corps is a non, it's a, it's a, it's part of the government, but it's a completely volunteer based organization. Like the Peace Corps volunteers who go out, it's a volunteer based organization and we get stipends to live off of that are equivalent to the people who, um, who we live around. So they were not getting like buku money or, um, to do it. And, um, pretty much the goal is to promote, uh, world peace and mutual understanding, which when I say it out loud, it sounds very hippie-like. And back then I thought I was a hippie, um, but I read, I met real hippies and I'm like, I'm not a hippie. I just like to not wear shoes sometimes. But, <laughs> but Peace Corps was a pivotal moment. But if I rewind it back, another pivotal moment before Peace Corps was, um, or how I got interested in getting a PhD. And, um, I, and I tell uh, Dina, I met Amy again and I told her, but um, my friend Dina, uh, Dr. Dina Aglin um, and um, Amy Bruckman, I was uh, clearing my apartment, uh, uh, getting ready to go to Peace Corps, and Dina was like, I need a ride to the airport. So I pick uh, her up, and I pick uh, Amy up, and um, and I'm driving them to the airport, and I, I tell I, I tell Amy, and, you know, I know Dina. Dina went to RIT, so I know Dina Perley. So I tell Amy, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going into Peace Corps. And, she, and she's like, have you thought about a PhD? And I'm like, uh, not really. But she's like, you know, Peace Corps is similar to doing, like, field work. Um, you're, you're doing a lot of community community work um, that could be applicable to a P, uh, PhD. You should definitely consider it. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll think about it. But right now I'm focused on Peace Corps. So... <laughs> I go to, I joined the Peace Corps. I'm there for two um, and a half years, a little bit more than that. And I also want to shout out people from Peace Corps. So the Kodisa family uh, who okay. like hosted me. And then my, one of my bosses, Machibana and her family, um, pretty much they kept me, they, you know, they, they were like family away from family. And um, so while I was at Peace Corps, I started, I, I started noticing that a lot of people who were not Peace Corps volunteers that were overseas had PhDs 
And so then that's when I kind of seriously, that's when I seriously considered getting a PhD. Cause I was like, I, I want to find ways to get back here. And a lot of the people around me, you know, um, outside of the state department, uh, um, ambassadors or in uh, state department, people who were there, um, had some type of PhD or they were in the area of education. Cause we have a lot of, um, teachers who go overseas to, um, teach in other countries too. So that kind it was, it was after I graduated from, um, RIT that I started thinking about getting a, a PhD. That is really cool. Like I can see the similarities where it's like, I want to help humanity and how like all of your stuff that you've done kind of drives towards this common goal of like helping people. So that's, that's pretty cool. Well, okay. And, and I think like it's admirable to kind of commit yourself to service in such a meaningful way, right? Like a lot of people are, willing to support from a distance it's a whole other thing to let go of everything that you have essentially and like be immersed somewhere and kind of give everything that you have to something like that so that's really cool thank you and i just want to shout out my both my parents because i feel like um so i i did peace corps in botswana um, and, and even though, um, I, my parents are both from West Africa, my dad is from Nigeria and my mom is from Sierra Leone. Um, there's, there's some similarities in cultures that definitely helped me transition, um, that I knew other, uh, other volunteers didn't have. So I just, I just, <laughs> even though Jeremy, I, I appreciate you making it like, I love that you were like, this is really cool self-service, but I want to shout out my parents because even though it was, it, it was tough in some ways, there were other ways it was just like, oh, thanks mom, dad, for giving me these little tips so that mm -hmm. I can just slide right in, uh, culturally <laughs> and, uh, be okay. So I just, yeah, I just want to shout out them. Yeah. I mean, for me, my parents, I think of as my first mentors, right? Like they're the people who instilled values in me and helped me understand how to navigate life. And I don't, I really don't know where I would be without them. So, hey, mom and dad. I know <laughs> Shout out my parents too, even though my mom just figured out how to listen to a podcast. <laughs> hey, mom, show us the dad. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I, um, I was going to ask, so just looking at like your trajectory it's really cool so you basically go full corporate and then you're like mm, nope complete opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you look it around and you're like oh okay like this is what these people do and you were gonna do a phd but you didn't do that first right right I didn't do that first. And I will say at that time when I was at RIT, RIT was starting to get into the research areas. I think maybe a year or two later, they had more programs to get uh, more students involved in research. And be, but, but during my time, if you wanted to be involved in research, you had to know about the research. You had to know to go to the professor and talk to them about research interests. And, um, unfortunately I didn't really have any mentors at that time to kind of sit me down and kind of expose me to that option, um, which is really unfortunate because I went to a science and tech school, you know, we had to do a research practicum yep, RP. and yeah, and pr <laughs> which is pretty much like a whole research project. So I like for that one, mm -hmm. I like, I like coded, a, a microchip to read, uh, arrhythmia in the heart. 
Um, oh, and so wow. like, you know, that would have been, that would have been a nice fit, but, um, I will say this shout out to school, university of Maryland, Baltimore County and other schools Woo-hoo, that have like Maryland. McNair fellows and everything. <laughs> Um, my trajectory definitely geared me towards industry. And so, um, Peace Corps helped me to take a step back and be like, what is it that I really want to do? And, 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 and how do I want to go about it? Mm. Okay. So then you went to Harvard. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was that easy. Um, no, no, it was, it was, it was not that easy. So, so the real story is I decided I wanted to get a PhD, um, but I didn't have research experience. Um, my grades weren't 100% and my GRE score wasn't under 100%, but I was, I knew that I wanted to get a PhD. And so I applied to PhD programs and I applied to one master's program um, because like I said, I saw a lot of people in the area of education and I still wanted to maintain my background in tech. And so I thought educational technology, learning sciences, HCI, those were the fields that um, I felt were would maintain my passion and would keep me going. So on that note, uh, yeah, I applied to schools and um you know, I'm, I'm currently in a space where I'm like realizing like what I did, you know, not everyone had to do. So I, I, I'll, I guess I'll spell out some of the things that me and some of the volunteers had to do. So we were living on like $200 a month. And so, you know, for grad school, you have to pay for the fees. Again, I'm not, I'm not connected to an institution. And so to, you know, they encourage you when you're writing your application to like read the papers of professors. And so I'm facing paywalls. And then on top of that, Internet access was like, you know, during the day, it wasn't as ideal. So I was up at like 3 a.m. at night trying to get the best Internet access, six hour time zone difference, trying to connect with professors, trying to trying to to make sure that I get in. And so I apply to all these schools and I'm not alone. Other Peace Corps volunteers were trying, you know, we're transitioning Uh out of Peace Corps. You know, I have some friends who went to medical school and everything. We're all doing something very similar. So we had that community there um, to apply. And, um, yeah, I, for some lessons learned that, you know, for those who are listening in terms of fee waivers, you know, if you need a fee waiver, ask for a fee waiver. I even went to, um, the MIT media lab at that time, they didn't offer fee waivers and I asked for a fee waiver. Um, I just, in the back of my mind, I just thought it would be really horrible for a school to deny me and then get the news like Peace Corps volunteer who gives up their <laughs> time yeah. to serve in another country gets denied fee waiver to school. So I just I just asked. <laughs> I asked. And yeah. I think pretty much if not all of the schools I applied to gave me a fee waiver, um, even though some of them it took some time and back and forth to kind of, you know, to get it and kind of explain what Peace Corps was. And then for paywalls, I learned it after the fact, but some professors do post their papers on their website, or you can email the professor to ask them for their paper. Cause that was one obstacle that I faced was I wasn't affiliated with any school and I wanted to get this Peace Corps. I wanted to get this, uh, PhD, but, um, it, I couldn't get access to, to papers. And then the, the last thing, um, I, I guess I wanted to say was community community was also important because a lot of this information that I learned during that time and a lot of that, I guess, uh, resilience came from the people around me and because we, we were doing the, the whole thing. So anyway, I didn't get into a PhD program. I was completely devastated, but I got into Harvard. 
And so, <laughs> so <laughs> I know, I know, Dang. it was horrible. Okay, it was it was horrible. Um, Interesting. <laughs> um, and um, Dina, you know, she had to remind me like you got into Harvard, Fender, like like just right. like you you just just you got into Harvard, like like you 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 know you should celebrate that. And and I did, and I remember opening up the letter in front of my mom and um, her being just just as shocked as I am that like look, <laughs> well, yo, we going to Harvard. Um, and so <laughs> coming back, coming back from Peace Corps. Um, I, you know, I learn about my admissions decisions. I'm devastated, but I learned that I'm going to Harvard. But, but then I had another friend who encouraged me, even though not all schools do this, to reach back out to the schools and try to figure out uh, why didn't you get admitted. And, you know, I did get some responses from the schools like, oh, we had too many people. We can't kind of give you a concrete uh, decision, but I want to shout out um, uh, a professor Anid Day. He's like the I think he's at UW right now. Um, I emailed I emailed uh, a lot of people, and uh, he um, he specifically emailed me back, and he was like, "Look, I pulled your application, and look, you know, your grades weren't that great, and you really can't ch you change that, but you you should work on your GRE and getting more research experience." And that kind of helped me put a plan in place once I went to Harvard. Like, look, yo, I need to improve my grades. I need to improve my GRE score. And I need to get the research experience. Um, and so I'm really thankful um, to him for saying that. Because, again, you know, I didn't have anyone really guiding me through the past um, path like that. Um, but also, I hope I'm not going too long. If I'm ranting, please feel serious. No. But also during that time, while I was in um, overseas, I got connected. You know, Facebook had Facebook groups. I know I don't know if they were as popular back then, but I got connected to Anita Borg. I got mm -hmm. connected to Rose. And again, these were places where people were talking about um, opportunities. I believe that's where I found it about the DREU, um, Drew, um, mm -hmm. which uh, helped me to get research experience before I even went to Harvard. Um, oh, that's great. And, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think about, it was just, I don't know if it was serendipitous. No, it was just God. Like it was, I joined these, these, I joined these Facebook groups and I just was exposed to a lot of useful information that kind of helped me to prepare better application the second time around. Yeah. Sometimes it's like just a matter of getting connected with the right people or just getting into the right circle where it's like, here's all these resources. But if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And you're trying to reinvent the wheel and figure out how you could have, you know, how to do things on your own, because that's the reason why these groups exist, because it's impossible to know what to do on your own. Right. And, and so I guess continue on. So I got connected to Nita Borg. I got connected to Rose. Um, I was trying to get, you know, I didn't do a lot of, uh, programming while I was overseas. I did a lot of like digital literacy skills training for, um, uh, community members, um, at that time. And so I was trying to do more, um, like so software development type projects. So, um, I got connected to Rose and originally I was going to apply to be like a, a Google summer of code, uh, intern, but she was like, no, you have the experience to be a project manager. So, mm -hmm. um, shout out to her for propelling me there. Um, and then from from Anita Borg or Anita.B, as they're called right now, once I got into Harvard, I got exposed to CRA WP, which which mm -hmm. they're called right now, uh, Nesbic. Um, yep. So it kind of 
it kind of helped bring in all these other uh, areas. And then, of course, IMCS, because I believe Drew is under or is so is somehow related to IMCS and Nesbic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure um, yeah, Kyla, Jeremy. A, yeah. Yeah. They're all a nice little synergy. CRAWP and IMCS, which were given all these different acronyms. The Computing Research Association Committee on Widening Participation is CRAWP, and then NSBIC um, is National Society of Blacks in Computing, which is a conference that um, I chaired and Jeremy helps me with so much as the IMCS project manager. Um, so project program manager, project manager, yeah, project project manager. Um, yeah. So yeah, but there's all sorts of stuff that is in there. Um, and then Drew is also something that they co have. What else was there? A bunch of resources. But all, as you can hear, there's lots of different things that you can take advantage of, and they're free. Like we right. flew people to Atlanta for conferences for the free, and New Orleans, you know, one yeah. of the years, you know, and you know, you get to go to cool places, meet cool people, and not have to do it on your own dime. So, right, right. and you get access to so many resources, resources and information and people. Mm-hmm. And I, most importantly, it was the people. I think going to those conferences, you know, you know, just meeting you all and just meeting so many people definitely helped me to realize like this is definitely attainable. Um, and then, you know, just, just keep persevering. So Fenda, I think that you're our first guest who's been to Harvard. So what was that experience like? Man, I mean, woman, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was an experience. Um, it it definitely was an experience. Um, but high, you know, high school, I went to a majority African-American schools, like 98% black. And as it relates to um, challenges with identity, I think uh, a lot of the issues, if I could uh, uh, like, like pin it down were related to like either ethnicity and class, but at Harvard, Mm. it was the first time I realized like, yo, there's students out here who don't have to have a part-time job and they can just focus on their classes. Um, at RIT, I think because I did like a bridge program or, um, which is like a program the summer before school starts, where um, it brings in students from diverse backgrounds. I had a community that kind of reflected a lot of uh, uh, things that I was doing. So, you know, it was kind of normal to uh, be working part-time. But at at Harvard, I realized, yo, there's students out here who don't need to work part-time. Like there's, (laughs) there's, there's, you know, there's, there's individuals out here who are, are different from me and having completely different experiences and trajectories. And they were definitely there at RIT. They were definitely there at Peace Corps. But because my, my, um, my master's was in uh, educational technology, innovation, education, we would be, you know, digging into like education and equity. Harvard was the first time I realized, yo, when people said at risk, they were talking about me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yo, it was me. Like when you said low income, it was me. Because, you know, when I was on the free lunch program, because, you know, at school, free lunch apparently was an indicator of like low income status, which I would say working income because you have to be careful about terminology. But I, I didn't know that. And I'm really thankful for all the teachers and the community surrounding me that didn't 
put that type of like thought inside me that like I was low income. But at Harvard, when we was reading the research, mm. here I am mm. thinking like, man, we got to help these low income th- kids. And then it turns around. No, you're talking about me. You're talking about my community, <laughs> wow. you know, wow. and my community, you know, it was weird for you to pay for lunch. Like everybody yeah. got free lunch. It, you know, it wasn't, it was, right. you know, to the point it was just like, yo, you wasting money. We getting it for free. You over here paying. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you. So and there was no stigma. There it was, was no, no stigma. stigma. It was, you know, and you, and I'm really, I guess I'm thankful for that. Cause I, it meant that I focused primarily like life was life and there was definitely challenges, but I didn't put any like, like barriers in terms of, you know, having free lunch. It didn't mean much to me because everyone around me was there. I like that. But Going to Harvard, it made me realize, you know, certain missing information that I may have potentially not have attained um, as it relates to like developing social capital or again, going back to just simply going to a professor and asking them, how do I get, you know, access to a research opportunity um, that I, I like I didn't know. In fact, you know, I had to ask a PhD student who was, um, who was a teacher's assistant in my class. She like helped coach me to talk to a professor in order to, you know, get a research opportunity. Cause I, I had absolutely no idea, idea how to go about that, how to approach that. I knew I wanted a PhD. I knew I needed research experience, but that connection of like how to do it and how to do it so that you're not offending the professor, how to do it. So the professor takes you seriously. I had absolutely no idea. And I think at that moment I learned that, you know, when it comes to this, getting this PhD, there are some hidden rules. And that's why I'm really thankful for CRAWP and grad cohort and all these other resources, because there are hidden rules that when I was in Peace Corps, sending out those, you know, emails and everything, you know, I didn't know, you know, sometimes that professors have certain preferences when they encounter these emails that I later, later, later on learned. And then also it helped a lot that Harvard was behind my names because the day I graduated, the day I started sending emails from my Harvard account, all the professors that may have not responded <laughs> the first time around were like, Hey, who, who are you? How are you? And wow. so that also taught me, you know, even though we don't talk about it enough, like, you know, the power of the name behind your school, which is an issue in of itself, because even to this day, I think mm-hmm. about people who may not have been to Harvard, who have these aspirations and goals who, you know, should be in these systems. We need a diverse system. And so Harvard woke, woke me up. I would say I I had, I had rose colored glasses and Harvard woke me up that, you know, we, we live, we, our lives are very, very different from each other. And, um, and our trajectories can be even different, can be different depending on if we know the like quote unquote hidden rules of certain systems. But, and I will acknowledge that these hidden rules are in corporate world. And so I shout out um, Carla Harris in her book, expect to win. They're everywhere. Um, you have to be cognizant of them when you're, when you're navigating these various systems. Amen. A hundred percent thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kyla, was that your experience too, in some ways? Yes and no. Um, so the process of going from high school to college was made better for me. Cause I was in a scholarship program where they were like, 
apply for this internship, write your personal statement. Like there were people who came before me that I could ask, what classes do I take? What person do I take it with? You know, what mixture of classes don't I put together? So Mm -hmm. everything on a granular day-to-day level, and then even like planning for the next steps. But then once I got to grad school, um, I still could utilize some of those skills, but then there were even more things that I had no idea about. Like um, we talked about on another episode, um, having your own funding and how we tell people to uh, seek out this prestigious funding, like, you know, the NSF Graduate Research Fellowship and um, GEM and things like that. But then sometimes you fall through the cracks because people aren't really paying attention often sometimes they're not paying attention to what you're doing because you're not tied to a grant project so i would say i had that um i had a good amount of scaffolding i could still like rely on the skills that i learned like when i got into trouble in grad school i relied on my skills and strategies that i learned in undergrad like all right seek out help you need to have a study group you need to do this you need to be very uh you know calendar out your day like so i got back onto the things that made me successful beforehand Hmm. Yeah. And the only reason I ask is because y'all are from like pretty much the same area, right? Um, and then I'm the weirdo who's like <laughs> from a more affluent community uh, in Orlando. And, you know, it's funny, Finda, that, I mean, it took you a long time. Like you even went to Africa and we're in another culture entirely, like, and maybe didn't compare your experience. And then you come back here to the U.S. and then you're surrounded by, like, opulence at some level. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> this is what this looked like. I, I had that experience when I was in high school. And my parents would always put me in opportunities, like, summer camps and things like that and that's how i realized like oh we have money in comparison to most black families this is this is weird and it wasn't until i was like in high school that i was like oh we really have money you know and like oh you both have real jobs and you know like this is you both have college degrees this is why you want me to go to college. Like it all started to click for me in high school to see like, Oh, I have a lot of support and there are people that I've met and things that I've been able to do that most people my age haven't done. Yeah. The first flight I got on, I had to buy it myself. Yeah. No. Yeah. Girl, we were going on cruises. Yeah. No, that that was not a thing. But first cruise I went on, I had to buy it myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I will say this, like, I'm thankful for living in PG County because it gave, again, shout out to Prince George's County because, you know, it's, it's, it's known as the richest black county, even though there's a mm-hmm. diversity of income. And so, like I said, I, I didn't have that shock factor in high school, but, you know, I wasn't, you know, I saw black doctors, I saw black dentists yeah. and everything. And so... Harvard's an experience, and I shout out um, uh, our new, uh, our new, our new uh, 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 Supreme uh, Judge Court Justice. Yes, yes, yes because she kind of talks about that when she was there too. Um, like I think it went viral when she said that a black woman leaned in and told her to persevere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's, it's just, I don't know if it's that initial intimidation factor that when you walk onto that campus that 
I guess opens your eyes to like, yo, we're not all starting from the same place. Yeah. But yeah. then there's that hope, hope. My hope is that there's a, hopefully a realization because there is a realization that even though we may have not started at the same place, I deserve to be here. My voice is important. My perspective is important. And, and, you know, I deserve to be here just like everyone else. So I, 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 I am thankful for my Harvard experience because it further solidified that Peace Corps solidified that. Cause I would hang out with like diplomats from the state department. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night we were talking about like, like Ebonics, you know, and um, I'm the only <laughs> black person in the room. Wow. <laughs> and, and I, I think that moment was like, yo, I, I need to, I need to be in these type of rooms because like, like, like these conversations without us there, I, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, but um, yeah. yeah I, but even yeah. like when we are there, like we don't have to be the expert in the room sometimes right. on, on all things blackness, right? Like That's true. That's and, true. But we but can't be the good fly to on the have, wall to know what they're talking about. Right. It's good to be in there. Um, <laughs> so right. I, I just like wonder thinking about like all of these experiences and how they've like kind of, it seems like they've influenced a lot of what you're researching now. Yeah. Because you're talking about things like critical race theory, which I know is like a hot topic in the news and like controversial to some people. It's not really, if you understand what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But like, how did you get, how did you arrive there? Well, that, so yeah, I I keep, I feel like I keep saying that's, Oh, that's a great story, but um, (laughs) (laughs) we like stories. (laughs) So, um, while I was at Harvard, I got the chance to uh, do research uh, with Professor David Rose. He's now retired, but he's really famous for the Universal Design for Learning and Education. Mm-hmm. And he had a project called the RISE Project, and it looked at um, educational techni- technology and juvenile justice centers. Um, and so when I was applying to PhD programs again, um, I was interested in uh, this particular area. I was interested in, in uh, restricted, extremely restricted, underserved spaces and how we can, what, what can we do in those spaces? And I, you know, I guess coming from, even though I didn't see myself as low income, but, you know, thinking about underfunded schools and uh, kids who still make it out, like what can be done um, ultimately it, for me, it's I'm realizing that these are higher concerns of policy related issues. But mm-hmm. as we see, like changes in policies can sometimes take time. So, like, what can we do in these current systems to kind of uh, uh, educate and give people uh, quality educations, um, even though at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's policy. So, um, unfortunately, uh the, when I came to Michigan, uh, the sites that I want, the juvenile justice center that I wanted to work with, the students didn't stay there long, which is good. Um, but in terms of research, it didn't give me, uh, like participants that I could like, you know, do like a pre or post test because by the time students, uh, you know, a, 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 a child would come in, um, they would probably leave within a week, which is, which is fine. But it's a Um, good thing. Yes. (laughs) Which is really good. Um, so I pivoted, to um at first it was a women's prison and then i eventually pivoted to formerly incarcerated individuals and so um my first research questions was like you know 
about formerly incarcerated individuals and like computer science education. But then I was like, I don't want to impose computer science education on in, on people. I don't want to just be like, you're going to learn computer science. We need right. more people in this field. <laughs> this is what you're going to do. Um, and so as I got to talking to um, some of my like some of the nonprofit partners that I work with and some of my like future participants, um, it came to light that like digital literacy was a concern. And at the same mm-hmm. time in Michigan, um, they recently had changed their law. So a lot of juvenile lifers, so individuals who were set, went into prison at 17, um, some who are now 60. So spending over 40 plus years in oh. prison were coming out and they were coming out into a completely new world because um, Mm -hmm. prisons have limited internet access. And so I did a research project that summer looking at the digital literacy skills as it relates to job search for formerly incarcerated individual. And so we did the research, you know, my advisor said it was really, really good. But um, as we were writing it, I realized like, you know, we're not unpacking the implications of race in all this. Like, you know, you know, this paper is going to be submitted to a global conference and I don't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable assuming that, um, people in other countries truly, truly understand what's going on here as it relates to like race and racism and the criminal justice system. You know, majority of my participants were African American. And so it just didn't sit well with me. And so, what that led me to do was to look for theories that talked about race. Um, and so, um, funny enough, Michigan at a, in the past had a lot of scholars that did work on critical race theory. So I'm not sure how critical race theory slipped in my vocabulary, but, um, it was one of the theories that, um, I became interested in because it was like, all right, you know, we're in this tech focused area, you know, how can I, how can I talk about race? How can I position race? Because I, I do think, you know, I'm reading all these sociology papers about employment discrimination that race may impact how, um, my participants are navigating, searching for jobs and pretty much, you know, adjusting to home. So that's how mm-hmm. I got into critical race theory and, um, and, um, yeah, how I'm, how I'm trying to, how I'm working with it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I I do my work deals uh, front and center with like the criminal justice systems, individuals who are coming out of prison and um, where I'm working with formerly incarcerated individuals to understand and develop tools and resources as it relates to digital literacy for job search. And then I'm, I'm interested also, I'm interested in the middle of that. Like how does your identity impact um, how you're navigating that job search just in general. Um, and so hopefully soon, um, I'll be graduating, um, um, with a dissertation on that topic. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's great. And, and what I love about it is like, it's, it makes a lot of sense for you to leverage CRT, right? Because you are thinking about, society and culture and you're looking at it and trying to critique it and say like you know as it pertains to race and people who are incarcerated there's a lot of critique we can have in the system right like and and the power structure that exists in the system and so you know 
the people who are saying that it's all bad, like it's it's a way for us to look at us, kind of like shine a mirror and and let us see us and who we are and what we've created and how it has impacted different people in society. Um, so right. it's really, really valuable. And I just want to just reiterate, like this work, like someone could easily do this work and not look at race. It, it could mm-hmm. easily be done, but I think it's a disservice to all my participants and all the individuals who are, who are partnering with this work to not, talk about the implications of race, talk about the history of our prison systems in America and like what has that done um, to the communities that, that I work with. So yeah. that's pretty much what, like I, for me, I, I cannot do this work with formerly incarcerated system without talking about and unpacking the implications of race. I, it's, I think mm-hmm. it's very, very uh, embedded in it. So um, but someone could, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you could talk about another critical theory, like feminist theory or intersectionality, right? Like right. you could have chosen another area if that population had made sense for who you were actually studying, but right. it doesn't in right. this case. Yeah. That was one of the things I was thinking of where, you know, it's very noble to say, Hey, I collected this data and we see this one thing, but I'm going to go back and reanalyze it and reassess it. Like, did you have much pushback on, you know, changing the lens of, of how you wanted to look at the problem? No. Um, my advisor definitely like, you know, as a, in the PhD program, you develop as a scholar. And so, my advisor was open to me looking at theories or um, other lenses um, as it relates to the data. Um, and so that's what led to us writing the critical race theory and HEI paper um, was because, you know, I was looking at this information and there wasn't a paper out there that talked about critical race theory as it relates to computing. And so critical race theory, while it started in, um, in legal scholarship and by legal scholarship scholars, it's, it's gone into other domains. Um, so there's a critical race theory in public health. There's a critical race theory, um, pretty in, in pretty much several other domains. Um, and they have their very similar tenants, but um, they have their own individual tenants based upon the domain of, of work um, that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, so we didn't have ours, and I thought it was really, really important, um, especially because I wanted to use it, and I wanted to um, take it from a perspective of being a computing scholar. So if you could give people a TLDR, you know, a digested version, and we'll try to link to your paper as well um, on the website for this episode, but can you give them a short digestible, um, you know, snippet of what the paper is about and, you know, what you really found? So the critical race theory or the paper with formerly, formerly incarcerated individuals? The CRT for HCI paper. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so... The CRT for HEI paper is a paper that brings uh, critical race theory, which has been a theory that's been going that has existed since the 1970s, to pretty much to computing. So we have an intersectionality for HEI uh, paper, and so this theory pretty much presents five tenets um, that pretty much say that um, that helps position race and racism within computing. And so the five tenets are racism is ordinary, race is socially constructed, 
identity is intersectional. There's interest convergence as it relates to computing and um, work that deals with equity. And there's limits to liberalism. And so I'll leave it there as a high topics. And then we also introduce um, the uniqueness of voice or methodology, um, which is quite commonly used, but um, pretty much storytelling as a way of minoritized individuals as a way to understand the implications of race. And so that would be like my TLDR of critical race theory. And I encourage everyone to read it. Um, it's not as scary as some have made it seem to be. And um, we share our own personal stories of navigating computing um, with our various identities. Love that. Love it so much. So, Fenda, what are you doing now? Like, what is, what are you, in, I know you just defended and you're like, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> well, defended her proposal. Yeah, yes, but I mean, yes. like, that's like the, I'm free, but I'm not free. Yeah, right? I like, have a contract like, that says what I need to do to I get out. I know all the boxes to check. Yeah, I can't least, pull like, nothing on me. Theoretically. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, you, I guess you took my answer. I'm like, I'm trying, just trying to graduate. I'm, I'm <laughs> you just trying to graduate. Gotcha. Uh, but um, right now, I am um, Kai 2022 is coming up, and so mm -hmm. I um, helped served as the assistant to um, the general chairs there. Oh, um, wow, so that's, that's been really good. Yeah, so that that's been really really interesting, and so. Um, I guess some things that I didn't get to say. So if you've been listening this long, you get to hear some other tidbits that I forgot. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot to mention that I rarely have paid for a conference. And one great way to uh, get into a conference is by serving. And mm -hmm. I especially like Kai, especially being a Kai student volunteer, because first they feed you and food alone <laughs> is expensive. <laughs> yeah. But then they also give you exposure to like uh, many other like like top scholars or researchers. Um, and you can sit there and network with them and kind of introduce yourself and develop that social capital, too. And then you also get to learn the background of how the conference is run, which is also extremely, extremely interesting of itself. And so um, if you are looking for ways to like, you know, the conference might be too expensive or something like that. Serving is a great way to kind of bypass that um, and, and, and uh, get background exposure in addition to enjoying the conference. And then the other thing I didn't get to mention is so, you know, my you know, my mom is uh, she was a nurse and my dad is actually a doctor, but. Um, wow. I, my mom, I grew up with my mom, who's a single parent and as a single parent. And so, um, uh, one shocker or something that I hope future podcasts talk about is that, um, yes, as you know, grad students, we get to travel and everything of that nature, but, um, some schools have like a reimbursement process mm -hmm. that, um, I wish I knew before I started that I would have to have money to, to, uh, to go for free, yeah, <laughs> to go for free, to reimburse. So and so those who are looking to apply, um, I tell people if you're applying to also try to save, if you can, like at least like $2,000, I feel like that's the magic number, two to $3,000 um, to help with the reimbursement process because yeah, sometimes there's an expectation that you have to have the money or the credit card to to purchase to purchase items. But overall, beyond that, um, 
those are my like tidbits or um that i hope i got to highlight from from like sharing this space with you all i love that you came on here with like y'all need to know this yes (laughs) i have an agenda (laughs) i have an agenda and i forgot to highlight mr shack too who oh yes who picked me up you know mr shack kyla no 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 i remember you you mentioned him earlier i thought oh okay okay yeah yeah from so all these people you've highlighted you need to shoot them this episode right they already know they already know i already took pictures (laughs) they already know um I think the only other thing that I want to highlight is that you got married. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you did that in grad school. I sure did. And <laughs> I used my grad school money to put on this wedding, too, <laughs> which like, was you're very to be interesting. Poor. What's happening? <laughs> I'm I sure learned people are like what? How I learned how, this? I learned how to budget very, 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 very well. <laughs> she used to live off of two hundred dollars a month, right? Okay? Like <laughs> I learned how to budget very well, and then also I learned how to just barter with my community, um, and you know, get stuff for free and offer things um, just in return. So, um, yeah, we got married in 2019. Um, you did know. you meet him like in school? Like, how did y'all meet? I need to know. No, um, I met him before I started school. Um, oh. The funny story is, uh, I told him like, you know, and I've told people this before because if you, you know, you kind of listed the my different experiences. They were all over the country and world. <laughs> so I've been, yeah. you know, I would meet people and I'd be like, yo, so I'm moving back to DC, and they'll be like, well, it's been nice meeting you. So I, I pretty much did that <laughs> wow. to him. I was wow. like, hey. I got into this PhD program and I think I'm going to Michigan, you know, th- wincing, thinking he'll be like, okay, well, it's been a pleasure. But he was like, oh, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And so uh, during my you know, first year and second year, he was there. We would um, see each other like once a month. And uh, yeah, and then eventually the conversation was like, you know, if at least for me, like I, I'm not going to like lift up my whole in life for 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 a person unless there's a strong commitment so i told him like you know if there's not a strong commitment i'm going to continue to pursue my dream and we can do this and so i guess he took that as like i need to make a stronger commitment and so he proposed um and then we got married and so now we're doing life and i'm really thankful uh, for him because he's part of the the squad he's part of you know he's my life partner and um i couldn't I feel a lot more freer knowing that I have somewhere to land that's safe and at home. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but you see, again, she is on brand. She came with an agenda. Like, I am so not about to lift up my whole life unless we got up her land. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm glad I guess, you asked that, too. <laughs> I guess the takeaway is that there there were hidden rules, and if I can just drop them, I feel like probably at one of the conferences, I don't know which one it will be, I'll talk about them but there was just so much I learned um given the fact that you know I didn't have like a a close mentor or family member who had a PhD before me so it's kind of like I stumbled through and I'm still learning as I go and then also the community is 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 also changing because now we have Twitter and social media and what does that mean as a scholar Mm -hmm. to have access to social media so um any tidbits that I can share um I definitely will share in uh, definitely the communities around me have uh, helped me to kind of, again, per- persevere. 
So um, speaking of social media, how do we tell people where to find you on the internet? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, for my Twitter, I would say, and for most um, of my social media, I go by iobru. So my pen name is Ihudia Finda Obonaya Oburu. And so iobru is kind of like a shortened version of that. And so on Twitter and most other social medias, uh, you can uh, find me there. On Instagram, however, I go by It's Academic. And hopefully in the future, I will use that space more fruitfully. I don't know if you all knew about a show called It's Academic, but they weren't on Instagram, so I took their name. I but was just <laughs> thinking about It's Academic. Like, literally last week, I was talking to somebody about it. Oh, I was talking to my um, one of my teachers from high school because he was our It's Academic, like, coach. for. Mm. But it's a, it's a D.C. Maryland thing. We get the smart kids, and we on a game show on Saturday mornings being and, smart. And they are all now on Instagram. They've caught up. Um, I think okay. they're like, it's academic too I, I don't know if i'm gonna give up that name but um i'm the original yes i, I was wondering when i saw That's that amazing. i was like did she watch it's academic i sure Apparently. did and when i saw they didn't take their name i was like well yep it's meant now. to be yep. <laughs> but for everything else it's io brew um github everywhere else and um that's how you can find me and we'll link in the episode description too well, this was a pleasure. Yes, Benda. it Thank was. Thank you so this much. This was super fun. Yeah, Thank I can't wait to see you in person. Yeah. Know, yes. right? And thank yes. you for being a super fan because you have supported us from the beginning and we we definitely appreciate it. If you can see her, she's Before holding we up were the, real. the cup. Yeah, she has the original, the yes. Jordan 1. Yes. <laughs> the modern one. Well, the I just want to, again, thank you all for this, this space and all the other spaces that you've created. They've definitely contributed to my trajectory, so I'm de definitely thankful for that. And yeah, I listen Every Mondays, I'm listening. Everyone's dropping <laughs> dimes, learning about people's stories. So I'm just happy to be a part of these great intellectuals that you're you're interviewing on this show, including yourself. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate that. You're gonna make Jeremy cry. <laughs> <laughs> As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I am at Jeremy Waysom. Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing. Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace.